Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. I want to say good morning and welcome to each of you here. Uh, certainly glad for your presence and very grateful uh, to the leadership here for an opportunity to stand before you and teach from God's Word. Uh, as Brother Mark said, we had an opportunity this weekend, some of us, uh, to go down and participate in uh, some training down there, and certainly I need about all that I can get. Uh, Gene and I had also planned to stay there, if you will, in the Dallas area, attend a gospel concert last night with Lauren Dale Dancer and Clyde Woody, and then we opted to spend the night and drive in early this morning. So I found out 40 years ago that was a whole lot easier than it is today. Um, we started our journey, we had planned that out, we built time into it to make sure we're here in case there was something bad that happened, and we got on uh, 35 North, if you will, and immediately it said, uh, continue on for 170-something miles, and I thought, boy, we got this whipped. And we didn't get very far down there, lights are flashing, there was an accident, the interstate's blocked off, and that started the journey. And I thought, man, what's going to happen? What I did have an opportunity to do, though, was to rehearse this lesson all the way here. And I'm going to tell you, I had to come forward three times because I needed this. And I hope and pray that you're blessed by this as much as I was. The inadequacy here is not the Word of God. It's my ability to articulate to you that word, because it's powerful. It saves lives. It is the message the world needs, the Word of God. Um, we've had a lot of lessons lately about the church. This is going to be another one. Uh, I hope it fits in well with what the elders were doing there and other speakers have. Uh, Brother Dustin, appreciate yours last Sunday on prayer fasting. Uh, we have an opportunity this Thursday as a group to do that, and we'll have an example of that. You've already heard that. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. Thank you, Dustin, for that reading. I asked you to do that because I couldn't pronounce all those words, so thanks for doing that. As I was studying through, because I like to go back and review some things sometimes, and I was looking at, if you will, uh, Israel's journey, beginning with Abraham, the first Hebrew, uh, first Hebrew and what happened with them on that journey, all of his posterity, knowing promises that he was given, covenant that God made with him, and see how that was fulfilled, prophesied ahead of time, and then how it came to pass. And so as we began to hear teaching about the church, I was intrigued about some of the parallels between that and the church. And so what I chose was a reading, or if you will, uh, Nehemiah's part in that particular journey, what he represented there. So we're going to have a lot of verses, a lot of teaching out of that particular book. But I do want to talk about Israel building a wall, and I just want to briefly remind you of the status, the background historically where Israel is when we begin this journey. So in 2 Kings chapter 24, this is also in 2 Chronicles, but we see here uh, where Israel, the two southern tribes, is carried away into captivity. So beginning in verse 11, and Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city. 
and that's Jerusalem. As his uh, servants were besieging it, then Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon in the eighth year of his reign took him prisoner. So he had just won. And he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord. And I want you to remember that. Because those things came out of the temple, which was the very center of Jewish religion. And the treasures of the king's house, and he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord. As the Lord had said, those things were sanctified. They were set apart. They were holy. And now they were become common. Also he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. Might be a good time to be poor. You didn't get carried away into captivity. You didn't have a lot of talent and their estimation, you stay. Now I'm not sure what that says about their heritage or posterity, but they remained. Now, what Nebuchadnezzar did was set up a puppet if you will, king. So if we go to chapter 25, we see the story continue. And beginning in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, that's still Nebuchadnezzar, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and camped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. What had happened was, after he had defeated, defeated Israel... He then, he, Nebuchadnezzar, went against the Egyptian army and lost. And so the puppet governor there in Israel went into rebellion. He thought he could team up with Egypt, which, by the way, God had already told him not to do. And Nebuchadnezzar, angry, came back to make sure this rebellion was punished and never happened again. He set a siege wall all around it. Then the city wall was broken through. You know why the scripture recorded that? Because that is utter failure then on the behalf of that city to protect itself. It can no longer do that. There's no safety there. And this is the capital city of Israel. This is Zion. This is the city of David. This represents God's people on this earth. And it was taken down. All the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. And the king went by way of the plain. Utter destruction. The city wall torn down. The gates burned. People carried off into captivity. In Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah prophesied about this. And he said, thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed to Babylon. This hadn't happened yet. God's already telling them what's going to happen. Babylon's going to come in. They're going to carry you off captive. I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place after 70 years. God can tell time. He created it. He can tell it. And he said, after 70 years, this is going to happen. There's a prophecy. In the book of Ezra, we see the people of God given the opportunity to come back and build the temple again after 70 years. Beginning in Ezra 1.1, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
We've had a change of the guard here. Babylon was the world power. Those of you following uh, the study from Brother Bruce out there in Daniel chapter 2, that second kingdom has now taken over. Medo-Persia, it's the bear that raises up with the ribs in its mouth. This is the second world kingdom, and guess who represents that? Cyrus. And he was a chosen vessel of God. Think about that. A chosen vessel of God. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so they made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. Now this is according to the prophecy in Jeremiah that we just read. And guess who's going to fulfill, to fulfill that? Not an Israelite. A Persian is going to fulfill that. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he acknowledged that. Think about that. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And he does that through the hand of Ezra and sends him to build that temple. That happened according to the word of God. So there's a temple there. Some of the people then are released out of captivity. And that's kind of the status of things when good old Nehemiah comes along. Notice what also happens there beginning of verse 7. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord. Remember Nebuchadnezzar took those things away. Cyrus knew they had to have those things to set up their temple worship, and he returned them to them. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. Here you go. Here's the stuff you need. Go build the temple. Now, not only did he do that, but he wrote a proclamation, and he said to you people in that region out there, you give them all the support they need. Whatever things that they need to build that temple, you give them. And they built the temple. Now that's a good thing. When we get to Nehemiah chapter 1, though, some years later, not everybody had come home yet. We still had some Jews in captivity. Now the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, came to pass in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped. He wanted to know the status of the kingdom of God. He wanted to know, but he didn't. So he's going to hear about that. These men who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Now what does that mean? That means that this city is no longer a sanctuary. It is no longer able to protect the citizens of that kingdom. There's no safety there. Commerce cannot be conducted. Business and life as usual cannot go on. And they are prey and plunder to the other nations around them. They're a spectacle. They're a curse. And people laugh at the children of God because of the status of His kingdom. Now I want to let that sink in for just a minute. 
and think about how we are the kingdom to God. And that same reflection comes from us, whether it be for good or bad. We own a piece of that. Now, Nehemiah heard that news, and in verse 4 it says, So it was when he heard these words that I sat down and wept. Have you ever done that? Because of the kingdom. Have you been so touched in your heart, so saddened by news, that you sat down and wept about the status of the Lord's church? Nehemiah did. In fact, he mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying. Brother Mike, prayer wasn't enough. He had to fast too. He had fasting and prayer, which our elders have called us to do. Fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. In verse 5, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. I asked Brother Dustin to read the rest of that to save us some time here, but I wanted you to hear him begin to confess sin. He confessed his personal sin. And he told God that he had sinned and he confessed the sins of his fathers and how that a righteous God had to come and punish his people because of their sin. When they received the law on Mount Sinai, they got a blessing and a curse. And because of their sin, God had to invoke the curse part of that law and punish them. He already knew they were going to fail, Brother Craig. But he also had a way to bring them back. That had already been built. In verse 11, he said, Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. He had confessed national sin. We as a people merited. It was just that our God punished us and God is just. And to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. What does he count prospering? It's not the amount of money that he was going to have in his bank account. Not the amount of money that he was going to have to spend or material wealth. That's not how he's counting prospering. Notice what he says. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, the king. How do I know that? For I was the king's cup bearer. Notice that the building of this wall started with fasting and prayer. Here is a man who saw a need in the kingdom and did not know how that need was going to be met, but what he did was prayed for opportunity. And I'll tell you that sometimes opportunity is going to come at a cost to us personally to work for the good of the kingdom. And he prayed for that, and he put himself at risk. I was the king's cupbearer. Now, the status of Jerusalem, bad news, right? In chapter 2 and verse 1, and Nehemiah came to pass in the month of Nisan. I want to take a little segue here and remind you what happens in the month of Nisan in Israel. It is their first month designated by God, and the Passover takes place in this month. You know what? Those in captivity couldn't participate in that Passover. Hadn't been able to for 70 years. Now, I don't know how old uh, Nehemiah was, but I'm supposing he wasn't old enough to have been there and watched the destruction of Jerusalem, carried off into captivity, still alive, and being the king's cupbearer. 
He has been taught these things. They've been passed generationally down to him. He understands his history. He understands the important and the status and the process that goes on here. And he was touched to his core. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. King got a lot of servants, do a lot of things. Remember from the book of Daniel, he had somebody as his baker, right? He's got somebody that just brings him a cup. He's got lots and lots of servants. Now this guy didn't stay busy. King wasn't drinking all the time. But notice the impact that this man had on the king of the most powerful kingdom in the world at this time. Notice this, and he's a slave. Now, I've never been sad in his presence before. Can we say that about our employers? Now, this guy's a servant. He didn't get to choose what he wanted to do. Or Xerxes didn't line people up and go, who wants to be cupbearer? Come on up here. You can do that, or you can go out here and take big rocks and turn them into little ones. He didn't have an option. He was told what he was going to do. And yet, look at his attitude. Never before have you been sad in his presence. Therefore, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. There's nothing physically wrong with you, but there's something eating at you in your heart. What is it? And why does the king care? Why does he care? Because of the relationship that this man has built with the king. And Nehemiah prayed for this opportunity. But it comes at great risk. Because if the words that come out of his mouth are not received well by that king, bad things can happen to include him losing his life. So I became dreadfully afraid. Yep, would have scared me. I might have needed a pair of new pants right then. And said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Whew, what a chance he took. Why not? Of course I'm sad. I'm here as your slave, but you know what? There's a city. Built four square. And it's in waste. So why would Israel care about building a wall? Why is that a big thing for them? Well, why did we build walls? We built them for status. And people would come up and go, wow, look at that city. You see that wall? That wall never be breached. We've heard that about cities. It's kind of like ships that can't be sunk. Ooh, be careful if you captain the Titanic. God's still in control, right? And for safety. Now, what did walls do? When walls came about, they were a very important kind of evolutionary part of mankind. When city walls became, became uh, to be made and created, what it began to do was afford a, a portion of safety to those people that lived inside those walls. And they didn't have to worry so much about constantly being attacked from outside, defending themselves. And that allowed people to begin to take on other tasks. And all of a sudden, they could devote a full lifetime to gardening or to raising livestock or education or medicine 
or in the case of God's people at this time, to serving in the temple. There's a lot of things that began to happen because of that. Commerce increased, education increased, society as a whole began to develop more. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Come and let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And you know why that's most important? Because they're God's people. That's why. I've heard a lot of people say, I don't care what other folks think. But I'm going to tell you it's important what other folks think. And it's important what they think because of us. Because of our influence. Because of the lives that we live. Because of our priorities. If somebody wants to break into somebody's home and steal stuff, they ought to know if you go to South Canadian Valley Church of Christ, come to my house between 10 and 11 Anytime, ain't nobody going to be home. It's wide open. Ever something, it's yours. They should know that about us. Our neighbors see us walk out and get in our vehicles and drive away. They see that. They see when we come back home. They know when we go on Wednesday nights and we come back. And if some of us are carrying a paper Bible, they see that. They know what it is. It is important what other people think. We don't want the church to be a reproach. We talked about city gates too. That's a little bit small for my eyeballs. I didn't get that one blown up, Brenton. I'm going to have to do push-ups. They are significant because that's where commerce was conducted. But that's also any time that you have a window or a door, that's a place that somebody can come in and attack, right? It has to be guarded. So when they built these gates back in those days, they weren't like the doors on this building, and the city walls weren't like these walls. We'll see some pictures here in a minute. These things are humongous. They're heavy. And when you're talking about those gates, you've probably seen some movies on TV where folks are trying to break through those things. They're humongously thick. They're heavy. The whole purpose is that when they're shut, it's just a part of the wall. It's not a weak spot. But not everybody can live inside of that. Some folks have to be able to journey out. If they're going to trade with other things, if they're going to go out there and raise livestock, or they're going to go out there and farm, or whatever commerce or, or social activities outside the city, they've got to be able to get out there and get back in and be safe. City walls. Absolutely critical. During peacetime, they did become a focus of a lot of different things. Think about Proverbs 31. We start talking about, right? Proverbs 31, that woman that's there, whose husband, because of her, is able to do what? Sit in the city gates with the elders. Why? Because of the wife that he's got. That's why. A lot of things took place in those city gates. They were important. Here's kind of a look at some walls out there. Think about that for just a minute. Now, if you didn't have gunpowder, things like that back in, you come up to something like that, whew, that's going to be hard. 
And it's built to reinforce itself and to be mutually supporting if you attack it, right? This is more like the walls around Jerusalem and what they look like. I took, I used this particular picture because I wanted you to see the people and I wanted, to see, I wanted you to see the size of the walls by comparing that to the little bitty tiny folks down there. That's how big these walls are. Now we're not talking about this six foot fence between you and your neighbors. So you keep their dogs out of your yard and your cats out of theirs. We're talking about walls that are there to protect the inhabitants of folks. Nehemiah 2 and 4, when the king said to me, what do you request? Remember the gamble, if you will, the chance that Nehemiah took, that opportunity presented itself and he put himself at risk for the kingdom of God. What do you request? So I prayed the God of heaven. When you and I pray for opportunity and the Lord presents that opportunity to us, do we want him to bless our course of action we predetermined? Or do we want God to help us shape that course of action and make sure it's according to his will? Notice again, this started with a prayer. Nehemiah invoking God's help. Building the wall started with that prayer. So I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, see how important this relationship is? If I found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Boom. What happened? He sent a proclamation. Go do it. Make it happen. And oh, by the way, you're going to need wood out there for these city gates. So the people who hate you and despise you in that region are going to be the ones that supply the wood that you need to build those gates. Anything else you need in terms of material, they're going to supply you. Because I'm going to tell them to do that. And oh, by the way, I'm their king too. It's going to happen. I love it. Notice how that a good structure like that, though, begins with a chief cornerstone. Whew, Lord's church just like that, isn't it? Because I'm going to tell you, there's not a better structure ever been built than the Lord's church. Now, how big is the chief cornerstone in the temple of Jerusalem? Here's a look at it right here because they still got it. 570 short tons. Think about that. One of the largest building blocks in the world. It is 13, well, 44 and a half feet long. It's 10 feet high and an estimated width of another 11 feet. This isn't a little bitty brick that our masons out there put a facade on the outside. This is the absolute arc right here that everything else sets itself off of. So when this thing's in and it's level and it's plumb, every other stone feeds off of it. If it's off center, if it's out of kilter, if anything is wrong with this, everything built on it will be at risk. It will not be safe. It will not stand the test of time. Ours is built on Jesus Christ. It is the chief cornerstone. There's kind of a look at that. And again, I, I chose this one because if you see that ladder down there, you got to get the ladder to get up there to see the top of that stone. That's how big these things are. Very large cornerstone. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, the Lord says, 
Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Here again is prophecy of the coming Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, Paul speaking here says, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? There's the church. There's how it's put together. There's our cornerstone. It's a cross. That's what the Lord's church is built on. The gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus. Back to Nehemiah chapter 3. I'm going to actually read out of here a little bit. I didn't want to put that on the slides because I wasn't sure how much of this we're going to read. But I love Nehemiah chapter 3 because he's talked to the brethren and said, hey, we need to build this wall. Let's see how they react. Beginning in chapter 3 and verse 1. Then, then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the tower of the hundred on one side and consecrated it. Then as far as the tower of Hananel going the other direction. They built this chunk of wall. Now they started it. Now think about what's going on here. This didn't protect them. They're betting on their brethren to come and build their section of the wall as well. And notice what they didn't do. They didn't say we can't do it. They didn't say we don't have the resources. They didn't say, hey, we're priests. We're not stonemasons. What they said was, we're going to build this section of the wall. Watch us. Come get a piece of this. You need to be doing the same thing. Other people did exactly the same thing. And Nehemiah lays out who it was that went and built certain sections and how they began to put this wall together and it began to shape up. And all of a sudden, these nations that were around there were threatened by the existence of Israel. Things began to change, and they were afraid, and they began to mock them, hoping that they could make them stop. And they said, you know, something as small as a fox gets up on that wall you're building, the whole wall going to fall down. And they were afraid they were going to be attacked. And Nehemiah went to prayer again to God. And then you know what he did? He said, we're going to work with one hand, and we're going to have a weapon in the other. That's what we're going to do. Now, I don't know if you've done physical labor. I've done a little bit of that in my lifetime, and I'm going to tell you, my daddy used to say, you can't do much with one hand, boy. You've got to get both of them involved in that. They're building a wall one hand at a time. Always prepared in case there's an attack. They even have guards at night awake. And this wasn't a male-only project. Women involved in this. There's a whole section of wall built by a man and his daughters. Now, did he have no sons? I don't know. Maybe they were worthless. But his daughters built that section of wall along with him. 
And when we're talking about building the wall, they didn't go to Walmart and order these stones. It took 200 men working eight hours to carve out a basic stone that went into this wall. That's the amount of labor. How many stones? I don't know. A whole bunch of them. Chipped them out and put them in there. And they all fit. We'll talk about that a little bit more. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, talking about this kingdom and the wall that we have around it, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Everyone in the church is important. Everyone in the church has a task to do. Everyone in the church is part of this wall. Everyone. And everybody has a place. According to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You know what? If they hadn't finished that wall, Israel would still be a joke. That wall had to go up. People had to do that job. And we need that same thing in the church. Everybody doing their job. When we go around Norman, do people know that South Canadian Valley's here? If they don't, we fail. You and I, we're failing. They should know that we're here. In chapter 4, verse 6, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. Why? Why was that built? Because the people had a mind to work. Whew! You know, we talk about evangelism a lot. I don't know another religious group on this planet that talks more about evangelism than the churches of Christ. You would think that that is an active part of every day of our lives because we talk about it, we pray about it, we might even fast about it. I wonder how much we're doing. Do we have a mind to work? Now, we got great elders here. I thank God for the eldership we've got here. They ask us to do things Thursday night. Now, they're not going to call and ask if you did it. They're not going to send a little... What do you call those little... Drones over to your house? Zoom in? Dustin, did you eat? What are you doing? Put down that snicker bar. They're not going to do that. But they don't have to. They should not have to. Because they've asked us to do something, and it's their right to do that. In fact, it's their job to do that. And it's our job to do what they ask. And to be just like Nehemiah. And we smile when we do it. There's our example. In verse 7, now it happened. Happened when Sinbalot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. They became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. You think Satan doesn't do that today? When he sees a church come together, when its walls being joined for safety, that he didn't come after that church? Happens all the time. He can't stand it. 
and we need to make sure that we're doing our part to be defended. Nevertheless, what did we do again? We made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. And Mark 13, 33, take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. We don't know when Satan's going to come after us personally or collectively, but we know he's coming. We need to be ready. I know Mark 13 is not about that. It's the coming of Christ. I got that. But I'm trying to draw an analogy here. We need to be ready. When we look at this wall, what I want you to see here is that originally when it was built, there was no mortar. None. They didn't need it. Every stone was crafted perfectly to fit into its place and it interlocked. Every one. That's the church. That's how we are to be. In 615 of Nehemiah, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations uh, around us saw these things that they were very disheartened. They went from being angry to disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. What makes a strong church? Brother Mark asked that when I was talking about this. And I want to talk about that a little bit. Strong walls built on the chief cornerstone with everyone working and working together. So how do we do that in the church? Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom the whole body, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's how. Every one of us finds a place. Every one of us joins that wall. Every one of us looks, whoo, look at here. That's kind of what that looks like. Now, your name may be up there. It may not. That might not be the section of wall your name's on. It's not that I forgot you. My name's not up there either. Brantley, isn't that right? Yours isn't up there either, brother. I'm sorry. We're on that next next section, right? We were down there where the daughters were building. That's where we were. That's the way the Lord's church looked. Notice you got Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Notice you got the apostles as the foundation. And right on that is our leadership. Right there. This congregation built on that leadership. And if I had that the way that I wanted to, but I'm not very crafty with that, the larger stones would have been married folks. Because as a team, they're a bigger stone. Should be. That's how we should function and operate right there. That is kind of what we look at. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, we heard a lot of that this weekend. We've heard that quite a few times. I just want to go back and look at verse 11. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Why? For there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You know what? Our elders have a tremendous burden. Because what they have to do is look at every stone that they're given in this congregation. And out of that stone, they have to craft. They have to craft a part of that wall that is going to go in and meet a need in this church. And some of us have a lot of burrs on us. Some of us, Brother Mark, you've got to spend a lot of time honing us down so we can fit where we need to go. And some of us are rebellious rocks, right? We don't want to go there. I want to be over here so the gates are hung on me and I control who comes in and goes out. But we already got that. Well, I want to be down there next to the chief cornerstone. But we already got that. Well, I want to be, I want to be what? I want to be a part of this wall and I want to smile as my elders, as master craftsmen, take the burrs off of me, size me up, fit me, and put me in there. Because that's their job. And my job is to be the right material with the right attitude and to perform the functions that they assign me to perform. And there's going to be times they ask me to do things I don't want to do. You can look at me and tell I don't miss many meals. I'm not up with this fasting thing. That is not my that is not my number one deal. Hey Chris, what are you going to do Saturday? Oh, I thought I'd go without eating. No. But they have asked me to do that. So you know what? I got a new priority for Thursday. It was not on my calendar. It will be now. Fast and pray. And they've told me what to fast and pray for. And thank you all for that. Because they have a tremendous responsibility. And helping me fit into that is a work that they're constantly at with each and every one of us. Because needs change. Abilities change. And they continually work to hone us and keep this wall what we need to protect us and keep us safe and what's out there. Thank you for doing that. Notice what happens when that wall has stones or rocks that don't want to participate in the way they're supposed to. All of a sudden, we got a breach. We're at risk. Brothers and sisters, we can be overcome and overwhelmed. We can be carried off into captivity. That can happen to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 23 says, If therefore the whole church be come into one place at one time. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Let's just talk about something like that. Assemblies of the church. Would you like to stand before God someday and go, You know what? The Lord... Lord the whole church used to come together in one place and I wasn't there. I was a stone that was missing. When the elders asked us to go fast and pray, I was a stone that was missing. When they had a closing drive, I was a stone that was missing. Now there's times... When things happen, as I get older, Gene gets older, 
as a couple, we begin to lose some capabilities. And there's things we used to be able to do and enjoy that we can't even do now. We can't. But you know what's not an excuse? It just means that we got to be shaped a little bit differently because we've still got a mission that we can perform. we got a place in that wall where we can be a stone. And when our elders talk to us about that, we need to hear that because they're charged with keeping us safe. So I would ask you, where are you? Where is your name on that wall? Are you one of those still trying to hold it up and support it? Or are you one of those that's missing? we got a gospel meeting coming up. Our elders have asked us to do things. Are we telling others about that gospel meeting? We're we inviting them to come here so that souls can be added to this. Are we? What about you? What about me? Are we one of those that are missing? Again, we don't know the hearts and minds of those who are here this morning. Maybe you didn't need to hear that as badly as I did. But if you needed to hear that, and you want the prayers of this church, or if you've not been one of those stones and would like to become one, we're going to ask that please come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.